Welcome to Insights, the podcast of Forerunners of America, where we're here every time to warn the nation from a biblical perspective, but also to help you respond in faith. We want to make a difference. And we've been talking about America in light of totalitarianism and how that's been emerging. We've talked a bit about censorship. So we're going to take a bit of a shift today before we get to America's version of Marxism. We're going to tackle that. I mentioned that in our last podcast. But because it's the beginning of October, we have got to talk about Halloween. And I've got an expert with me today, and uh, he's a Forerunners of America staff member who's written a number of books. His most recent book is Unmasking Halloween. And so, Timothy Zebel, welcome to the studio, and thanks for, for joining us for this. Glad to be here. Well, Tim, um, Let's start out first, okay, the, the subtitle, The Truth Behind America's Trickiest Holiday and How to Navigate It. I, I, I love that because we want to drill down. We want to also know what to do with the holiday. So be, before we're done here, we're going to at least start to touch on that today. But how in the world did you even get interested in, um, in covering this topic and then writing an entire book on it? Yeah, well, Halloween's never exactly been one of my favorite holidays. Um, but my church kind of pushed me into a crisis of decision. Uh, so I was raised actually to reject Halloween. Grew up as a pastor's kid, child of the 80s and 90s when um, Satanism was a big thing. So uh, Halloween was kind of the church's favorite whipping boy or one of the favorite whipping boys. Uh, kind of a gateway into all of that. Exactly. Uh-huh. You had a number of uh, self-professed, ex-witches, ex-warlocks who were popular on programs like the 700 Club, uh, who told these riveting stories about how Halloween played a significant role in their satanic rituals uh, and how these uh, seemingly benign customs and traditions uh, that we do like trick-or-treating or the jack-o'-lantern, how they have these really dark, evil, sinister origins. Uh, A lot of them were eventually proven to be frauds, but they sure riled up the church for a while and uh, can convince a lot of people that Halloween was a gateway to the occult. And as a pastor's kid, well, you combine that with uh, the idea that we seem to be celebrating a lot of evil in Halloween. Our family just, we, we rejected it. Uh, we actually escaped. Uh, when I was young, we were in a subdivision, and so we'd have trick-or-treaters come to the door. Uh, so on Halloween, we would escape the house so we wouldn't have to deal with the trick-or-treaters go to McDonald's and play in the play equipment or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, our church did uh, harvest parties as an alternative for kids who were interested in Halloween. Uh, but then we eventually moved, uh, moved to the countryside, and we're at a church that no longer did anything for Halloween. We didn't have trick-or-treaters coming to the door, and so it became easy just to ignore the holiday. And, uh, and so most of my time growing up, we just ignored Halloween. Uh, so when I ended up with family, I figured I'd carry on the tradition. We'd just ignore Halloween. Uh, but then my church several years ago decided to change course. Now, this is a church I've been part of for over 20 years. And uh, they decided that they needed to capitalize on Halloween to uh, turn it into evangelism, some sort of outreach. I wasn't real sure what to make of that. 
Uh, it didn't help that my dad was on staff. He was one of the pastors making this decision, supporting this, and it wasn't exactly in keeping with how I'd been raised. Right. So, Dad, <laughs> what's going on here? <laughs> you know, are you waffling here? But anyway, yeah, just talk about that a little bit more in terms of how the discussion at church then becomes a crisis for you. Yeah, so the first event that our church did, I wasn't sure what to do. I, I participated in every single event that our church did. And uh, now I'm going, well, is it really okay for me to be participating in this? It doesn't match what I've always understood about the holiday. I never really answered the question, should Christians celebrate Halloween? But it was kind of a given in my mind, you don't. So now to have the church putting its stamp of approval, if you would, on the holiday, this wasn't just a, a, a harvest party or some sort of alternative. This was capitalizing on Halloween itself. Uh, so I actually semi-boycotted that first uh, event at our church. I, I participated in a, an element of it that I thought I could and then skipped the rest of it. Uh, but it started me asking tough questions, uh, questions like, uh, is is this is this a holiday that uh, can be redeemed, like our church is trying to do? Should it be redeemed? What does it actually look like to redeem a holiday? Like, does it look like what my church is doing, or does it look mm -hmm. something different? Mm -hmm. uh, and it didn't help, too, that uh, at that time, you were encouraging me to look into the holiday for some articles, uh, because you were asking questions about, are there possible national consequences to our nation embracing a holiday that seems to be focused on promoting evil and uh, celebrating that evil. Uh, so uh, so you put those two together, and my kids, I've got two Can little I, girls. I, I just have to interject, Tim, keep going here in a second, but just for everybody listening, it was like, it's not that I was thinking like getting candy is evil or whatever, but what it was, it was like, uh, like whether you're in the neighborhood and you're seeing all these creepy looking figures that are, you know, made out of sheets and whatever, but the skeletons, but it was like, are we celebrating everything that's on the spiritual dark side, like ghosts and goblins versus God's glory and angels? And that was part of what, what I was, you know, surfacing with you, uh, you know, two, three years ago or whatever it was. And it was that, that, you know, if there is a kingdom of light and there's a kingdom of darkness, there's a lot of what's going on here on Halloween. Is it part of actually celebrating that darker spiritual side. And so anyway, I found that interesting, even as I read your new book, in terms of how you think about that and navigate that. But anyway, so that was more of what I was asking. And now go back to, you know, your own girls. Yeah, so, you know, you got that tension of you're asking questions of are there natural consequences for what seems to be an embracing of the kingdom of darkness? And my church on the other side saying, well, we can we can use this as a gateway to get people into the kingdom of light and going, is that is that even possible? What does that look like? And then I got two little girls who uh, were reaching the point where they could start to ask questions. Uh, they were they were getting one message from me, and then they were going to church and they were getting another message from their friends. So these were deeper questions from your two girls, then how much candy do I get to have? Uh, well, it, it, it wasn't necessarily real deep questions, but it's like, you know, it, why don't we do this? Is it okay to do mm -hmm. this? What is this? Why are people setting up all these gross decorations in their yard? You know, but then they're going to church and they're, they're saying, well, my daddy says this about Halloween. And then their friends would say, oh, but, but my mommy and daddy say it's just a holiday for candy. It's just a holiday for fun. It's, you know, things that, that, that didn't seem to jive with what I was telling them. Uh, and so there's confusion. 
uh, they hated the decorations. I mean, I've got some houses nearby that turn their lawns into mini hellscapes. Uh, we go into the store and you'd have the decapitated heads and the zombies and all the ghoulish decor. With and the blood. With the blood. Yes. And I got two little princesses. I mean, <laughs> right. Unicorns, princesses, glitter, all things pink. So this isn't exactly their cup of tea. Uh, and they were young enough that it, it was really kind of uh, scary for them. And so they'd be talking about how uh, scared they were about the different things that they were seeing. And, uh, and so just, you know, put all this together and it, 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 you know, it just, it put me in a position that I never really thought I would be in because I thought it was simple enough. You just ignore the holiday. No big deal, right? But now the conflicting messages from my girls, the, the emotions of my girls, my church, my work, all of it coming, coming together, uh, encouraging me to, to, to think a little bit deeper about this. And so as I started to, um, was very surprised to find out how complicated this issue is. Uh, I mean, I thought it was as simple as this. Uh, some people say it's a pagan holiday. Some people say it's a Christian holiday that goes back to Roman Catholicism and All Saints Day. Uh, some people say it's, it's just a community holiday. It's entirely secular, centered around community events. And, uh, and so I thought, okay, those are pretty extreme uh, differences. Surely they can't all be right, so which is it? And I thought it'd be simple enough, you just figure out which one of those, and that'll probably answer most of my questions. Turns out they can all three be right. <laughs> so when I was reading your book, it's fascinating to see how you uh, part and parcel, or I should say, really go down some different paths on where did this holiday come from. So I know we can't cover everything, but the first part of your book is uh, understanding Halloween, the history and all that kind of stuff. The second part is what do you do with it? So that's super helpful and practical, of course. But just... Give us a little bit about what you just said. You've got, it's a pagan holiday. It's a secular holiday. Oh, maybe not, maybe not pagan, maybe not secular. Maybe it's actually got Christian roots. Like, talk to us about, a bit about that. Yeah, uh, so uh, obviously this is, this is fairly complicated. So maybe just some highlights. Uh, to some degree, all three of those claims are, in fact, correct. Uh, the origin of Halloween is so ancient that we don't really know where it starts. Uh, most folklorists will trace it back to a pre-Christian ancient Celtic festival called Samhain. And uh, it's not spelled the way it sounds. It looks like it should be pronounced Samhain, mm -hmm. uh, but it's really Samhain or Samhain, uh, depending on your preference. And uh, uh, there's, there's, there's almost universal acknowledgement now that this is the origin of Halloween. Uh, it turns out almost everything we think we know about the holiday is speculative. Um, like, we know a lot of things about it. We're just not necessarily sure where in history they are. So we don't know how much we're reading into history things that would develop centuries later uh, versus things that actually were the original versions of the holiday. Uh, but Samhain was a, a community festival. Uh, it was one of the few times, it was, it was right at the, the harvest time, uh, transition from summer's end to, to going into to winter, uh, kind of the light half of the year, moving into the dark half of the year is the, the way they thought. And, you know, this is, this, is, uh, this is a form of paganism that sees something spiritual in everything. So as it is in heaven, so it is on earth. So if the sun is waning, 
well, then we need to we need to do things on Earth to to reflect it back up to heaven. So we'll build bonfires to fuel the sun again. And, uh, you know, there there were definitely religious aspects in that sense. But for the most part, this was just a community event. Uh, this was celebrating the harvest having come in. We got ready access to alcohol. Uh, the chores and the work uh, to get ready for winter are now finished. And it was just like a perfect combination for a big party. Mm-hmm. Um, but along the way, we end up with this. Uh, he he was he was a military engineer named Charles Valenci, uh, who fancied himself a historian in the 1700s, and uh, he's fascinated with the Celts, and he ends up uh, speaking into writing on he write, he writes this multi-volume opus on the histories of the Celts, uh, but he addresses Samhain. And uh, he veers off from what everyone before him has said, that Samhain simply means summer's end. And instead says, no, Samhain is actually the name of a Celtic deity. It's it's a deity that also might be known as Belsab. And uh, it translates to the Lord of Death. So he talks about how Samhain is actually a festival to cajole, to appease the Lord of Death. And it involved human sacrifices, among other things. So this is not necessarily based on historical facts, but somehow he comes up with this. Yeah, we're not sure where he gets it exactly, but you're right. It's not historical fact. In in fact, within his own lifetime, he was decried as having, in in the journals, as having written more nonsense than any other man of his time. Mm -hmm. Like it was known within his lifetime that this was fictitious, that this didn't match what we did think we understood about the Celts. Uh, Nonetheless, his book is one of the only books addressing Halloween for centuries. Uh, so we end up with uh, this fictional account, really you could call it historical fiction, uh, this fictional account of the origins of Halloween um, that becomes the bedrock for what a lot of the conservative uh, or, or, or more conservative Christians in the, the 80s and 90s will end up using to say this is a satanic holiday. Uh, that celebrates the Lord of Death. Now, you you can combine that actually with Roman historians. Uh, so the Roman historians are where we get our the rest of our understanding, or a lot of our other other understanding, I should say, of the Celts. Uh, the Celts didn't write down uh, their practices, and so uh, what what we end up with are centuries later we have their enemies, the Romans, writing about their practices, or the Roman Catholic monks who are seeking to Christianize uh, the Celts. Both of them have every incentive to not fully understand and appreciate the practices of the Celts and every incentive to misrepresent where convenient uh, the what's going on for, for their agenda, to further their agenda. Mm-hmm. And, and so we, we have to take it all with a grain of salt, and the Roman historians particularly. I mean, some of the stuff the Roman historians say is, I mean, it's obviously exaggerations and distortions. Uh, but perhaps one of those has become a, a favorite urban legend, if you would, among Christians when it comes to the origin of Halloween, uh, and that's the, the Wicker Man. Uh, so we've got this account of a giant cage made in the form of a man out of wicker and they would put humans in it and then supposedly light them on fire to offer them as human sacrifices that is as far as we can tell an urban legend propagated by the romans uh, but there's no evidence anything like that ever happened 
uh, human sacrifice did occur at times and whatnot, but but not in the way that we were being told and not necessarily in connection with Samhain. Uh, so it turns out that one actually might have something to do more with uh, initiation rites. They might be combining several different uh, accounts. The Roman historians might be combining several different accounts, conflating them all together. Uh, one of the chief accounts being this ritual. Uh, if you were If you were trying to get into kind of the, the religious elitist class and become a druid or something like that. Uh, they would they would dig this pit in the ground. They, they'd put you in the pit, and then above it, they would build this uh, hut out of hemp, uh, which has, you know, it, it, it comes from the same plant we get, marijuana. And while you can get sick with, with hemp, there, there are still abilities to, to have transcendental experiences if you inhale enough of, of the fumes from this plant which they would light on fire above this pit. And you would end up uh, uh, acting out in this ritual the idea that you're dying to your old self and you're being reborn into this new enlightened state. And along the way, you'd inhale enough fumes to have uh, an unhooking uh, where you would enter into the other world of the Celts. Uh, it would be their transcendental experience. Mm -hmm. So maybe hallucinating a bit? Somewhat, yep. Mm -hmm. And so we combine that with other traditions and we end up somewhere along the way it all conflating together to becoming the burning wicker man uh, for human sacrifices on Samhain that then migrate to the Christian camp in the 80s and 90s where the Christians are saying, you see, this is the devil's holiday. Mm -hmm. Pagan origins, certainly. Pagan influences, certainly. Is it the devil's holiday? No. Um, have there been those who have turned it into the devil's holiday? Yes. Uh, the the neo-pagans have made Halloween a, a high holiday. Uh, and so it's not uncommon for groups like Wicca, for example, uh, to elevate Halloween. They'll, they'll often differentiate their version of Halloween with uh, the pagan elements from the frivolities of our cultural practice by going back to the old name of Samhain. Uh, but Samhain is certainly where we get a lot of the idea that, there, that, this, is, that this has pagan origins. Okay, so that's the, the pagan origins of this holiday. So let's shift here a bit, because you also go into some extensive explaining of really um, All Saints Day with the Catholic, and now this is coming into more of the Christian realm. So where uh, does Halloween come from in this realm? Yeah, so the argument that Halloween is actually a Christian holiday uh, goes all the way back to early Christian practices uh, where early martyrs were memorialized. Uh, it was not universally practiced, but there were certainly pockets around the world where uh, the saints would memorialize, uh, remember those saints who were faithful enough to give up everything for their faith. And this will eventually morph into All Saints Day with Roman Catholicism. Uh, and there's quite a journey how that happens, and there's arguments about whether or not the Roman Catholic Church is pirating from holidays like Samhain or the Roman Lemuria, uh, these other festivals celebrating the dead within pagan traditions. Or if, in fact, there's another argument that says that the Roman Catholic Church uh, is the one who, who really emphasized this holiday for the dead, 
and the pagan traditions took these practices that already existed in some form but weren't really a big deal and made them into a much bigger deal to counteract the church. Uh, so this is really just one of those holidays that is filled with uncertainty, speculation, and assumptions. Uh, so we don't know, was it originally a pagan holiday that, that influenced Christianity or vice versa? Mm. But the Christian tradition uh, will, will build this into Hallowtide. Uh, and so you end up with All Saints Day and the Eve of All Saints Day, uh, which was known also as All Hallows Day. So we have Halloween, Hallows Eve. And then you'll have All Souls Day that will come in uh, later. And that certainly is influenced by uh, the Celtic, Irish, Catholic monks uh, who developed the doctrine of purgatory and then kind of bring it into a third element uh, for that Christian hollowtide. But uh, uh, we end up with a real conflict between Roman Catholics and Protestants, which interestingly enough, the birth of Protestantism is believed to have been on Halloween when Martin Luther right, we, nailed the 95 theses to the door. In Madison, Wisconsin, we had, uh, when we lived there for nine years, we attended a church and that's what was celebrated, Reformation Day. And, uh, yeah. and it was a replacement for Halloween and all the dark side that you were referring to earlier. Yeah, so, so Protestantism is birthed um, not really out of the Halloween traditions, but just interestingly enough, on Halloween. But Protestantism rejects purgatory. They reject the idea of mediators, so the idea of having to pray for the souls of those who are departed. Um, they, they, they reject all of that, uh, or, or the idea of praying to souls to intervene on your behalf to God, to put in a good word for you uh, to God, which was some of what was going on with All, Soul, all Saints Day. Uh, so... Uh, Protestantism is rejecting these Catholic traditions, and then we end up with uh, an assassination attempt uh, by Guy Fox. They go for it. I, I didn't know nothing about that till I read your book. Go for it. Yes, Guy Fox, the fifth of November. Uh, he's caught trying to light thirty-six barrels of gunpowder uh, flame underneath, or, or really adjacent to the House of Lords when it's in session. And so this is this is like trying to blow up the U.S. Capitol building during the State of the Union address. I mean, you've got the whole <laughs> government there and a Protestant King James. And why is he trying to blow it up? Because it's Protestant King James, and this is a Catholic. Hmm. And so this is this is an attempt to decapitate the Protestant government. Well, he's caught. He ends up being executed. They celebrate the day uh, as a day where God protected the king. Uh, they burn effigies of Guy Fawkes. They burn effigies of the Pope. Uh, and it becomes quite the, quite the celebration. Uh, and 5th of November is so close to October 31st, where we've got um, Halloween, November 1st, All Saints Day, and November 2nd, All Souls Day, the Hallowtide of the Catholics, uh, which was no longer allowed to be practiced in England, that it didn't take long for uh, the uh, kind of a conflation of the two holidays. Mm. The aspects of Hallowtide that the Protestants missed got imported into Guy Fawkes Day, which was an acceptable holiday because, well, this is a holiday when the Protestants celebrate how God blessed the Protestants and protected them against the evil Catholics. Mm. Wow. Wow. I, okay. We could talk. We're just going to have to read your book, okay? Because this <laughs> could go on for, for quite some time here. But that's a great summary. Now, secular uh, origins for the holiday. 
Yeah, so Guy Fawkes Day ends up migrating to the New World. Uh, you actually have Hollowtide and Guy Fawkes Day both migrating to the New World. Uh, but by the time they get to the New World, uh, we're already starting to forget the true origins of a lot of this. Uh, and then we end up with the Revolutionary War. And Guy Fawkes Day is an anti-Catholic holiday. The Protestant colonies are celebrating Guy Fawkes Day. And in the Revolutionary War, we have uh, leaders like George Washington who say, well, wait a minute, if we really want help, we want allies from the Catholic French in Canada, maybe we shouldn't be poking fun at them in our Guy Fawkes celebrations. Mm. So they don't exactly outlaw it, but they strongly discourage it. And Guy Fawkes essentially stops being celebrated for the most part. Uh, and, uh, and, and so there's, a, there's an extended period where the celebrations from Europe are kind of lost. A lot of, the, a lot of the meaning of them are lost so that when they reboot on the other side of the Civil War, they really reboot in a whole different way, something we call play parties. And our Halloween traditions that we celebrate today really trace more back to these play parties than they do to anything in the European tradition. Uh, it won't be for quite a while later when we get into the Victorian era when the European traditions get reconnected with the new traditions we've developed in the new world. Hmm. And we kind of end up full circle. But by the time we've done that, uh, there's, there's all sorts of fun stuff in the Victorian era on how we romanticize elements from the European history and we mix parts that we like or parts that we wish were true from the European train with the parts that we really enjoy in our train. Uh, we have the urbanization that's going on. There's just a lot of social things going on in our country uh, that will transform it into a children's holiday eventually and then eventually ages back up, uh, especially with the boomer generation, to being an adult holiday again, to really become the Halloween that we know and think of today. Hmm. Wow, fascinating. I know you get into so much more detail in the book, so helpful and so forth. So this thing has this long history and it's hard to sort out, okay, but now how big is Halloween? Like, I mean, I was blown away at just a few of the statistics you give us in the book. Yeah, it's it's huge. The holiday became commercialized in the 80s, particularly. I mean, it was being commercialized in the 50s, but we see it take a whole new uh, approach in the 80s when you have the, the boomer generation, this influx of kids who uh, have uh, grown up believing it's their right to trick or treat, uh, trick or treating really the golden era of trick or treating. Uh, that are now getting old enough that they're not really supposed to be trick-or-treating anymore, but they don't want to let go of their fond memories and, and the fun they're having with this holiday. And so that reluctance to let go uh, ends up uh, aging up the holiday again, which at this point has now been given over to children. Uh, now it starts to age up the holiday, and, and adults start to reclaim it for themselves, or at least in part for themselves. Enjoy it for themselves. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. and, and so you end up with a lot of uh, businesses that start to, I mean, typical American entrepreneurial spirit, they see a profit to be made. And so you start having you know, vampires sell, uh, selling stereos and cars, and uh, you have... Uh, beer, it, Halloween starts to become a beer holiday as at the time a relatively small beer company, Coors Light Beer, not yet coast to coast, 
uh, is trying to figure out their end to be able to compete against the the the, the big beer competitors are who already the, own beer. Are they holiday. the ones that introduced Elvira as part of their commercials for this whole thing? They did. So their their first attempt was something they called Beer Wolf, and it was really kind of this goofy looking werewolf type mascot figure. It it didn't go over so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was a, a very sexualized uh, woman who's Cassandra Peterson. Her her screen name was Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and she's particularly known for uh, the the uh, monster movies with monster culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she she ends up being the spokesperson, the advertiser for Coors Light Beer, and they have these life size cutout cardboard images of her in the store and. Uh, and it was a huge success. Uh, Coors Light Beer was able to successfully transform Halloween into a beer holiday to where today alcohol is as much a part of the Halloween industry as candy is. Uh, and it would eventually actually overtake other well-known beer holidays. You know, the other thing about Halloween that's interesting to me is, you know, what I remember growing up, and I don't know the exact evolution, but, you know, there was a lot of anticipation of Halloween and going out to trick-or-treat maybe the week right before October 31st or maybe two or three weeks or something. But now it seems like they keep pushing the date back. And as you said, it's been aged up. So you now you have adults looking forward to Halloween um, in all of September and then all of October and maybe even summer <laughs> into August now. But this has become huge in the billions and billions of dollars that that are used to both on decorations and the candy and all that kind of stuff. It's a it's a stunning thing. It's a big part of America's um, uh, current culture. So a lot more we could talk about. Yeah, well, let me just add one thing real quick. Sure. You're right, $9 billion industry. But I couldn't believe it. Half a million dollars spent on pet costumes alone. Pet costumes. <laughs> about one out of four or five people will dress their pets up for Halloween. Uh, but... $9 billion for Halloween spent on cards, candy, things like that. But then there's another $6.5 billion annually for the haunted industry. Now, that's a figure from 2010. So haunted houses, or what are we talking about here? Yeah, haunted houses, uh, haunted cornfields, uh, amusement parks that transform into haunted attractions for uh, for a particular night or a particular season. Uh, but $6.5 billion for just the haunted industry alone uh, and that industry s- kicks up beginning of September and goes goes on through. And you get some of these some of these uh, theme parks in particular uh, can continue doing Halloween through November, even into December. I think the Walt Disney World is one of the ones that does that. Into December. Yes. Stunning. Yeah. I, well, and huh. you you have uh, Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas mm. that actually gives a, a direct excuse for people to bring Halloween mm. into Christmas season. So beginning of September, the stores flood with Halloween decor, and the retail uh, season really extends in some senses all the way through Christmas. It isn't until we get to the other side of uh, till New Year when we finally see uh, the vestiges of the Halloween uh, retail uh, items finally leave the stores. Huh. Okay. So as we kind of begin here to wrap up this podcast... I know you've thought a lot because the second half of your book is about what do you do with this holiday and can it be redeemed or should it be redeemed? All this kind of stuff. Now, it's too much for us to cover here in detail. Um, we can read the book, but can you give us some 
like perspective on redeeming the holiday or, you know, even rejecting it or whatever, because you highlighted that is that's how you grew up. So anyway, just just share a few things if you can. Yeah. Uh, so really, scripture, I think, provides very clear boundaries. So if if we're going to uh, critique Halloween from a biblical perspective, uh, they're very clear uh, of, there is a very clear grid that we can pass everything through to try to determine, is this acceptable? Is this not? Are there aspects that are acceptable? Are there other aspects that are not? Uh, and so, so there are definitely black and white boundary lines. But then there's a lot of gray area, a lot of judgment calls, uh, really uh, matters of conscience. And, and so there's, it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a cut and dry question when you ask something like, can Halloween be redeemed? Uh, and what does it look like to redeem Halloween? But I do believe that Halloween needs to be redeemed. However, I argue that redeeming Halloween doesn't necessarily mean that you embrace it. Uh, you can redeem it just as easily by rejecting it as you can by embracing it. Uh, so, uh, so really, fundamentally, redeeming, I think, comes down to a frame of mind. Okay, hold on here. How do you reject it, but you're still redeeming it through your rejection of it? Oh, well, it, it, it comes to this frame of mind, so I guess I have to explain that first. Uh, Romans talks about one of the ways that God redeems us as, as his children is to change the way we think. And so if redeeming involves changing the way we think, then if we apply that to Halloween, what is it that Halloween is making us think about? Halloween, is Halloween conjuring up images uh, that are fearsome, uh, images of the dead, uh, gruesome images, evil? I, like what, that's, that's, that's so much of what culturally it has now encouraged us to think towards. Uh, but what is it that it makes us think about? Uh, and then fundamentally transforming the way we think about the holiday. So thinking about the dead isn't necessarily bad in and of itself. As I'd mentioned earlier, we've got a, a tradition going all the way back to the early church uh, where, where you have early martyrs who are giving up everything for their faith. And so the early church is setting aside time to follow the instruction of Hebrews and remember their Christian leaders who instructed them in the word of God and, and to learn from their testimony. So to remember their lives, to remember their death, to remember what they stood for, the courage that they had in the face of death. These are positive things. Uh, so so it's, it's really a matter of perspective. What's the perspective we're bringing to this? Well, we can, we can bring perspective through rejecting the holiday, what it encourages us to think about, what conversations it, it encourages, uh, what testimony we have in our communities through that process, just as well as we can through embracing aspects of Halloween. Uh, but I have a real problem with those who, and the internet is just filled with this, but those who argue we're redeeming the holiday if we're just simply the most generous givers on the block for trick-or-treaters, mm -hmm. or uh, our church hosts a trunk-or-treat party, or a fall festival, a harvest festival of some sort, uh, if we replace the, the scary costumes with costumes of Bible characters, or we use okay, monster so mash. <laughs> if that would typically be, I would think, churches that have held on to Halloween 
that's typically the type of things they would do. And especially when you mentioned trunk or treat, you know, you have your cars there and it's all Christians for the most part, but you try to get non-Christians there, of course, because you want to use the holiday and you open up your trunks, very safe environment, you're all getting candy. But you're saying, well, it's that or the other things you just listed off. That's not really redeeming the holiday. In fact, you just said it drives you nuts. <laughs> so, okay, so just give us a tiny bit. I mean, I know you cover it in length in the book here, the second half of the book, but give us a tiny bit of what would it actually look like then to redeem the holiday. Now, you already said it's our perspective. It's it's the renewing of our mind and coming at it through, um, through how we're thinking about it. But can you give us a little bit more practicality? Yeah. Uh, so we've got those trunk or treat parties and so forth. Uh, really, all they're doing is sanitizing practices that are secular practices, the typical Halloween celebrations that we're missing out on. We want to be part of the fun. We figure out some way to have, be part of the fun while easing our consciences at the same time. But it's not changing the way people think. There's nothing in it that is necessarily glorifying to God. So how do we change things so that God is, in fact, getting glory? Uh, it, it, it could, as I had mentioned uh, just a moment ago, it, it, it could be as simple as just shifting the way where our emphasis is. So we can still think about the dead, but instead of thinking of the dead as this spooky, supernatural, fearsome thing, uh, or, uh, or, or to think of the dead as something that's intriguing, you know, they, they, someone on the other side knows things that we, we're curious about. What if we contacted them? Could they tell us any of those secrets? You know, instead of thinking along those lines, to instead use it to glorify God in some way, such as, you know, what we said about uh, martyrs. But you've got other things. You know, Halloween is a time where it's, it's a time of opportunity to, um, to bring the taboo out of the shadows and allow us to actually confront it, talk about it. So in our society, it's not polite to talk about the dead. Uh, we, we sanitize death as much as possible. We keep it in funeral homes, whatnot. We don't talk about it. True. And so we mm -hmm. have troubles really grappling with death. Uh, but it's not just death. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of fears that we have. Uh, there are um, questions that we have about the limitations of science and the limitations of modernist thinking to the realm of the supernatural. Uh, and, and these are all things you, you can't talk about because you might, you're kind of kooky if you're talking about this. Mm -hmm. um, you're, you're, you're not supposed to admit that you're afraid of things. Uh, you're not supposed to admit that you're, if you're going into a season of transition or, or so forth that you have legitimate fears that come with transition. All of this comes out of the shadows and becomes celebrated in Halloween. And so all of a sudden, we can have cultural conversations that we're not allowed to have any other time of the year. We can talk about the supernatural without being kooks. And our faith is fundamentally a supernatural faith. Um, we can talk about our fears and our concerns and the problem of evil and 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 darkness and the increase that we see of that in our society, we can talk about that, but rather than go where everyone else is going societally with Halloween and, and just kind of mocking it, realizing, almost throwing up our hands saying, there's nothing we can do about this, so let's figure out a way to cope it and just kind of laugh in the face of it, to instead say, these are real 
problems with and real questions, and there are solutions. The Bible's filled with solutions. In fact, these are superior solutions to anything that society has to offer. And we can get into meaningful conversations of a spiritual nature. It doesn't have to be gospel. It's one of the greatest times to be able to share the gospel. But all things about our faith, uh, so many things about our faith, I should say, readily connect to the types of questions that people are asking naturally in society at Halloween. That's why I really like your encouragement, admonishment to us to actually look at Halloween as the possibly, that is, the most um, natural bridge to spiritual things and then the next bridge is to the gospel of any holiday that we have. Now, we have other great ones too, of course, Christmas and <laughs> and uh, Resurrection Sunday, better known by some as Easter, but I call it Resurrection Sunday. I mean, of course, we've got these holidays, but you're saying we can use Halloween in the same way and we should. And so, you know, it just is a different doorway into the whole uh uh, redemption plan, what's God doing? It's just a different uh, a different gateway. Yeah, absolutely. And and so I've really I've really partitioned the book into two sections. The first section is the history and development of the holiday. Uh, and uh, there's all sorts of intriguing, fun stuff, especially if you enjoy history. I've tried to distill a whole lot of, of complicated threads of history and bring it into an easily navigable uh, path uh, that, that highlights the major elements that, that morph the holiday into what we have today and it being a uniquely American holiday today. Uh, but then that frames, that gives us the context to be able to ask the, the, the difficult questions, like should Christians celebrate Halloween? Uh, even questions like, does Halloween have an even more ancient origin than Samhain? Uh, I argue in the book that Halloween may actually trace all the way back to Noah's flood. Hmm. Um, I follow some of the monster lore, the development of monster lore, and how monster lore also can be traced back to Genesis. Um, Before we go on, that's not a familiar term to a lot of people, monster lore, but reading your book, it's, it's, uh, it's a, a very interesting topic, but you actually do talk about whether it's werewolves or zombies and other things. Like These kinds of things are in your book. Yes. Yeah, we, we talk about what is the werewolf, what is the vampire, the zombie, um, what has it, how has it morphed over time, uh, what are the origins of it, and then when we understand what it is, then we ask the question, can this monster be redeemed? Like these can be some of the greatest tools for evangelism. Uh, mm -hmm. that we have. And they are the heroes of Halloween. You can't go through Halloween without seeing mm -hmm. Frankenstein and, and uh, zombies and witches and so forth. So we take that first part of, of the history and the development of Halloween and our monster lore and so forth to, to provide the context, the framework, to be able to ask the, the, the difficult questions. And so the second part of the book is focused on application of that. And the second half of the book is filled with scripture and practical advice for uh, how do you critique a holiday, what are the limitations, and where is grace? And when we start to understand where the room for grace is, uh, then that settles a lot of questions about what if I disagree? I mean, I've got brothers who love Halloween, and they're constantly trying to convert me into to being a proponent of, of Halloween in my family. Uh, 
they can have a very different opinion than I have on the holiday and how I approach it. And we can both be right, depending on what those positions are. Uh, but when we understand why and how that works, that frees us of so much of the conflict in our spirits, mm. of that guilt, uh, because so-and-so is telling me I'm wrong or I don't comport with my other friends here or what my church is saying there. It frees us of the guilt. It gives us a confidence and a certainty so that we can lean into this holiday as cultural influencers. We can be confident in our approach and we can use it as one of the greatest tools for influencing society for the gospel. And along those lines, this is the book that I wish I had had 20 years ago when my sons were that age and wondering about Halloween and what to do with it. And I didn't know what to do with it either. You know, there's just kind of all this creepy stuff that goes along with the holiday and how do you intersect. So anyway, this book, Unmasking Halloween, this is a great service to the body of Christ. There's just hardly anything written out there on this. And so thank you, Timothy, for all of your uh, sweat. And I know it took an extra year or two to get this put together because we had this COVID thing jump into <laughs> our lives and we were addressing that and other things in Forerunners. Um, but now we're saying, hey, grab this book. It can make a difference even for this Halloween season. So how do we get a copy? Well, you can get a free PDF download from our website, forerunnersofamerica.com, if you go to the store. Uh, but if you want the paperback, you'll have to go through Amazon. Uh, you can get there from our store, uh, but paperbacks at Amazon, we also have a Kindle option. Uh, so if you mm -hmm. prefer Kindle, you can get that through Amazon as well. Mm -hmm. So go to forerunnersofamerica.com and click on the store, and it's going to give you, this is the feature uh, publication, the new release right there at the website. It'll be the first thing there, both on at lower on the homepage as well as the first thing at the store. And then you can click on the uh, uh, free PDF or purchase at Amazon, and it's a pretty easy process. So anyway, that's exciting. And again, the subtitle is The Truth Behind America's Trickiest Holiday and How to Navigate It. Really, really good stuff. So thank you for joining us today for insights. I hope this has been insightful. And this is a part of a now message related to what's going on in our nation every year at this season. And this is not going away, not abating. It is actually ramping up more and more from decade to decade. And so get your uh, copy of Unmasking Halloween. Now we're going to be back for our next podcast soon where we're going to look at America and Marxism and what's going on. So we're going to get back into that stream and I'm looking forward to it. I hope you can join me and my guests for that uh, podcast soon. Thanks for joining us today. Mm -hmm.